Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most sought-after gemstones in the world are diamonds. People value diamonds for many reasons. As the hardest material on earth, diamonds can be very useful. Workers use diamond-tipped blades to cut through hard materials such as glass or concrete. Of course, diamonds are probably best known for their beauty, which makes them perfect for jewelry. Nearly every engagement ring features a diamond. Jewelers take great care to cut and shape diamonds just right. And their aim is to cut the diamonds in order to give them many different facets or faces, many different angles. They do this because the more faces a diamond has, the more beautiful it becomes. As you turn the diamond and look at it from different angles, it reflects light uh, differently and sparkles in wonderful ways. Now, why do I say this? I say this because this is a little bit what the gospel of Christ is like. It is multifaceted. Right? The gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, has many different aspects to it. You can view the gospel from different angles. And each angle, the good news of Christ, shows us something uniquely beautiful and comforting about the salvation Jesus has won for us. See, back in Lord's Day 7, we learned that the articles of the Apostles' Creed give us a summary of the gospel, the good news of Christ. Each article of the Apostles' Creed shows us a different aspect of that beautiful gospel of grace. It allows us to view the gospel from a different angle, and gives us more comfort, gives us uh, more reason to praise the Lord. And here in Lord's Day 9, we're looking at the first article. And here is where we confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You see, in and through the saving work of Christ, this confession is good news for believers. It's good news for Christians that God is almighty and all-powerful. It's good news for Christians that the universe was created by God and is sustained at every moment by Him. And it's also incredibly good news that we can call the almighty creator our God and our Father. That's what we hope to study this afternoon. So that brings us to the sermon theme. In his fatherly love, God's almighty power is directed toward me for my good. That's what we can confess in Jesus Christ. We'll look at, first of all, God's almighty power, second, God's fatherly love, and finally, God's good purposes. So in order to properly understand this aspect of our confession here uh, from Lord's Day 9, we need to understand the extent of God's almighty power. And when we study scriptures, we see that God's power is limitless. He created all things, and He controls all things. Not one molecule in existence is outside of God's power and providence. The universe, too does not have its origin or beginning in itself. 
The world came into being by the creative work of the Almighty God, the eternal God. The Bible repeats that message again and again. We sang from Psalm 33. There the Holy Spirit teaches us. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. God declared the same thing in Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the, heaven, the ends of the earth. Everything we see around us, created by the power and will of God. It's amazing. God not only created the world by his power, but he also sustains everything in it at every moment. Everything in this room, including us. You know, over the past number of weeks, uh, the planets, Jupiter and Venus, have put on quite a show, shining brightly in the eastern sky at about dusk. Over a week ago, they formed a beautiful conjunction with a crescent moon. This past Wednesday, they came so close, they were nearly touching. Perhaps you spotted them in the sky uh, in the past few, few weeks. Sky watchers filled social media with pictures of the two planets shining so wonderfully in the sky. Now, in some sense, the movement of the planets is like clockwork. It's so predictable. And we can accurately predict where the planets will be in the sky even years from now. But this predictable pattern is a testimony to the sustaining power of God in this world. That's why there's so much order in the universe. Those planets don't have power all on their own. God is the one who upholds them every, every minute. And he does this for his own glory to show the power of his might. That's what we read in Isaiah 40. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these. He who brings out their hosts, that is the stars and planets, by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And what's true of the stars and the planets is true for every single thing in creation. God upholds and controls it all. From the flapping of a bird's wings to the falling of a snowflake from the sky, not one of them moves apart from the guiding hand of the Lord. God knows all things. He sees all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's completely extensive. Not even the most powerful people on earth have any power in themselves. While people at times appear to be in control, all in control, the reality is far different. We read something of that in Isaiah 41. The Lord shows his power over a powerful kingdom. He talks about a kingdom rising up, probably either Babylon or Persia. And these are some of the most powerful emperor empires to this point in history at the time of Isaiah. And yet the Lord says about uh, this kingdom, who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? Right? Who, who raised up this kingdom? 
He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. Who has performed and done this? I, the Lord, I am he. So this huge empire was rising up. And the Lord says, I was ultimately in control through all of their victories, through all of its advancements. Those nations don't have power in themselves. They were given power and authority from the hand of the Lord. That's how far God's providence extends. The nations of the earth, even the most powerful nations in the world, And that's so different to how many people view this world. Many people have come up with different theories about the creation of the universe. Some try to explain away God's creative work through uh, different scientific theories or philosophies. Others refuse to see his power in sustaining creation. And those who don't know Christ, who try to do this, think they will gain happiness by doing this very thing, trying to explain God away. After all, if God is removed from the picture, then you can live how you want without consequences. You will not have to give an account of your deeds. And so, in their minds, it allows people to embrace sin. Well, what really happens when Almighty God is removed from the picture? Well, the world becomes an incredibly scary place. Instead of bringing peace in someone's heart, denying God will only lead to anxiety in the end. Without Almighty God, you are left without help in a dangerous world. You are then held in the grip of merciless forces that threaten your well-being at every moment. Furthermore, life would be unbearably certain. Who knows what lies ahead or who will look out for you? Our hearts would constantly doubt about the future. The good news is things are completely different for us as Christians, as those who acknowledge God, the Almighty One. We aren't all alone trying to survive by our own strength. The world is not left in the hands of a merciless fate. Instead, we are comforted knowing that God is watching over us. And he's guiding all things by the power of his hand. And the Lord reminded Israel of this in Isaiah 40. He says to them, Why do you say, O Jacob, And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. You know, and that that might be easy for us to fall into. That's how it can feel at times. That God is not looking after us, or if he is, maybe we feel not very carefully. But here, in his word, the Lord stresses to his people, My people, you are not all on your own. I'm watching you. I will not ignore you even for a second. I have you in my hand. That's certainly true for us. Almighty God watches over your life, wherever you go, wherever you are. 
There's not one second that he takes his eye off of you. Nothing catches him by surprise. And nothing happens in this world to you without his direction and will. So also by his power, he will supply you with the strength you need day by day to keep going in this life, no matter what adversity he sends you. As we read in Isaiah, even youth shall faint to be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That brings us to our second point. So we've just looked at God's almighty power, and it is limitless, infinite. This power is one part of this aspect of the gospel. However, God's almighty power is not necessarily comforting all on its own if it were just by itself. After all, God's infinite power is not good news if that power is directed against you. What needs to be added to this confession of God's power is the reality of God's fatherly love. And this is the very thing we confess in this first article of the Apostles' Creed. Lord say 9 puts it like this. What do you believe when you, when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God, and my Father. This is what we refer to as adoption. An adoption by God is probably the greatest gift given to us in Jesus Christ. There's no higher privilege than to be called a child of God. See, it's one thing for a sinner to be, to be declared righteous by God the judge, and that in itself is fantastic all on its own. However, it's a step up even from that for the judge to not only say not guilty and righteous, but then to adopt us as his own children, bringing us into his very family. And that's what he's done for you who believe in Jesus Christ. Think about that. What does that mean? It means that as God looks down on you, as I stressed in the first point, he's always looking down on us. He looks down on you as his own child in love. And because this adoption happens in Christ Jesus through our union with him, God looks upon you with the same affection as he does his son, Jesus Christ. And that is a reality for every Christian. It is a reality. It's a reality for you who believe in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. As Galatians 4 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, and so we can call on God as Abba, Father. Remember, here's what it says. God sent the Spirit of His Son 
into our hearts. He decided to adopt us by His gracious choice. And so that also means that God's almighty power is now directed towards us in His love, His fatherly love. And so we can confess, my heavenly Father controls the universe. My heavenly Father is guiding and directing my life through this world. You know, think of this in terms of uh, human relationships. A lot of poor people in this world who barely have anything. Imagine one of the poorest children on the planet gets adopted by one of the richest men alive. Think of the change for that child. Goes from a young boy without any hope in the world, without any help, to the complete opposite. Now he has nearly unlimited resources directed towards him for his care. Things he could only dream about before are now a reality for him. Gives the child security and peace about the future. And beloved, this is what we have in Christ, and, and even more than that, far more than that. It's because God has far more resources than the richest people alive. His infinite power. And so again, because we're adopted by this Almighty God, His power is now uh, directed towards us by His love. You know what? It can be difficult for us to get that into our hearts. Same was true for the Old Testament Israelites. But look at how the Lord assured Israel in Isaiah 41. There was the threat of that empire in the east, maybe the Babylonians, maybe the Persians, the threat of that empire to invade the nations around Israel, including Israel. And so the nations around Israel, they trembled in fear. They did not seek help from the Lord. They didn't even know Him. And so they didn't have any real comfort or solid ground to stand on amidst that threat that faced them. Instead, they vainly tried to encourage each other, saying, No, be strong. And they were really empty words. And no knew they could not overcome that powerful nation. They also seek help from their idols, the very gods they need to create to set up and to secure. But those idols, not going to help them at all. And so without the Lord, they don't have anything. Babylon or Persia is going to trample them down easily. But then the Lord turns to Israel. He gives them these comforting words, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so there are two reasons why Israel in this situation could take great comfort. God's people have a God who's in control and who looks on them in His love. 
God was saying, I'm the one who raised up Babylon in the first place. They're not outside my power. Furthermore, he set his love on Israel and promised to care for them. They were his. So Israel could trust both God's power and his love were directed towards Israel for their good. What a contrast to the people without the Lord is their God. The gods of the nations had to strengthen, or the gods of the nations had to be strengthened and secured by their people. They were lifeless idols. But the God of Israel secured his own people by his power. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. That's why we can confess what we do in Lord's Day 9. In God, my Father, I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. And will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He's able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful Father. And we can make that confession no matter what force might arise against us in this world. Maybe it is an evil empire. Maybe it's something different. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because it's not outside God's control. And furthermore, no matter what happens, we will always be children of God and Jesus Christ. That brings us to our last point. God's good purposes. Well, as we have just seen, in Jesus Christ, God's power and love are directed towards believers for their good. However, the reality is that it's not always easy to see this or to believe this. In fact, you may have times in life, even long stretches, where it feels that God's providence and power are actually working against you. And those situations are incredibly difficult to go through. They can also really challenge our faith. It can happen that events just seem to work all together against you, leaving you wondering, why did God do that? Maybe we have a good intention to do something wonderful for God and His kingdom, but then God brings some kind of great suffering into your life. Maybe He closes that door of service. It can leave you with all sorts of questions. You know, if this has happened, can God really be my Father? Does He really love me? Is He working all things for my good? And so, as you go through those trials... It's easy for us to conclude in our hearts that God's hand must have gone out against us. However, we need to understand that what happens in this life, the events around us, and God's providence in those events, is not our Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, that is to say, we don't make our conclusions about God, who He is, and what He's doing in our lives based on what our eyes see in the events around us. If we do that, we're going to quickly go wrong. See, interpreting God's providence is fraught with danger. 
And that's because we are so small and limited in our viewpoint. We can get things wrong as we try to discern God's ways with our eyes and in our minds. We have to remember God hasn't revealed to us all His secret ways. However, what has God given to us? Well, He's given us the Bible, His Word. That's where we learn about God and His providence. And that's where we learn God's sure promises in Jesus Christ and that He is our Father. And we live by faith in what God promises in His Word, even as we look around us and see all those difficult things going on and in our lives. And when we read God's Word, what does it reveal to us about God's providence? Well, it shows that true believers in times past can really feel like God is working strongly against them. Even though the reality is quite the opposite. There's plenty of examples. Think of Joseph in the book of Genesis, physically abused by his brothers, sold into slavery, shipped to a foreign country, thrown in prison after being falsely accused, left in prison for two more years when he should have been freed, and so on. Surely it looked that God was working against Joseph, the reality was different. God was using Joseph, preparing Joseph to preserve many lives on the earth. And after a time, Joseph could confess that. Another great example is Naomi from the book of Ruth. The first five verses of Ruth 1 describe one disaster after another. There's a famine in the land of Israel. I don't know if any of you have gone through a famine. Glad I haven't. There's a famine in the land of Israel, scarcely any food. Naomi and her husband traveled to a foreign land to escape it with her two sons. Then while they're there, Naomi's husband and two sons die, leaving her a childless widow. All that looked very much like God was working against her for her ruin. And Naomi certainly felt that way too. She says in chapter 1, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And when she returned to Israel, she cried out, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which means pleasant, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? That she wanted to be called Mara, which means bitter. She felt the Lord had dealt bitterly with her. Have you ever felt that way before in your life? Seems that God has brought calamity on you and dealt bitterly with you. See, Naomi didn't see any way that in those things, God's power could be directed towards her in love. The rest of the story makes clear that Naomi's feelings were wrong. Yes, even though she and her family were disciplined by God, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and the Lord was still working for her good. And by his limitless power, Naomi's sadness would turn to joy. 
God would eventually use Naomi's trials to bring about the birth of her own Savior. And in that way, in particular, God was working it all for her good. And Naomi is now in heaven, having been freed from all the sorrow and suffering of her life, and her joy is complete. Beloved, God has revealed these things to us so that we would live by faith in what God says in the Bible and not by sight. You know, we might go through Naomi moments in life where it feels like God's hand has gone out against us, working to bring calamity upon us. But hold on to His promises, beloved. What do these situations in the Bible show us? They show us in the worst situations and circumstances, God is still working for His people's good. In the very worst of circumstances. God is infinitely powerful, and so by His power, He can turn any situation for our good, no matter what it is. And because God is our Heavenly Father, by His love, He's also willing to turn it for our good. We can trust that He will. Again, God calls us to walk by faith in His promises and not by sight. And that can be hard. And sometimes that means giving up our desires for how we hoped a life would look like in this world. Sometimes it means just resting in God's plan even when it doesn't seem to make sense to us. That's because God has a greater plan. His eyes are looking far beyond what our eyes can see. And he is working always, working to bring us to our eternal home, where we too will be in perfect joy forever. Amen.